So as you've probably detected, we've got a kind of a serious bent on our, our message today uh, as we continue to unfold our series. But I did want to start on a, on a somewhat lighthearted note that, that points us nonetheless to the truths we are wrestling with as we walk through this series. You see, there are certain things in this world that just go together so naturally and in such a way that, that we miss something critical if we only focus on one aspect. Take peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. All right? If you have a PB&J, but you, you only think about it as a peanut butter sandwich, or you only think about it as a jelly sandwich, whatever that would be, your concept of that sandwich is very flawed. You can only really talk about this kind of sandwich properly if you mention both the peanut butter and the jelly. In fact, if you came up to me and offered me a peanut butter sandwich, which would normally be an exciting prospect, and then you, you slid me a PB&J, it would damage our friendship. Because I'm not a fan of the PB&J myself. And similarly, cake and ice cream, right, individually delicious. But what, what makes a birthday party a party is cake and ice cream, right? At breakfast, bacon or eggs is okay, but it's wildly different than bacon and eggs. See, and changes everything. And this is a silly point, right? But it's to get to the, to the reality that to really appreciate certain things that are complex, we need to understand several things about them. This is particularly critical when it comes to Jesus, because he is very complex. He has many, many attributes, and when we try to simplify him down to just one or, or two things, we, we lose a proper understanding of who Jesus is. So I'll give you a few examples, but we could literally go all day, right? He is both God and human. And if we focus too much on the one or too much on the other, we, we not only have an inadequate understanding of him, historically, usually we slip into heresy. He is humble and regal. He is our friend and our judge. He is loving and just. He is our brother and our king. He is authoritative and merciful. This final pair is what we're going to be focusing on today as we continue our, our look at the seven churches of Revelation as we come to the letter to the church in Thyatira, which is found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works 
and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thyatira is an interesting church, to say the least. It has wonderful things going on, right? It is loving, faithful, hardworking. It is patiently enduring every hardship. And and as the church has grown, its good works have continued to increase, right? They didn't just start with enthusiasm. They are still going strong. These things are wonderful. They have the, the genuine heart of a servant. The members were doing a great job of being the church except for one massive problem. They were tolerating serious sin within the congregation. Thyatira is the mirror image of the church of Ephesus, where we began this series a few weeks ago. The the Ephesian church was on point biblically, but they had fallen into loveless obedience. They were doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Thyatira is the opposite. It's full of love and service, but it is permitting sin to infect the church. It's interesting, and this is what Mark was alluding to, the conversation we had, that as these seven letters unfold, right, we are seeing that there are many different risks that churches face that we must guard against in order to please Christ, and that there are commands we must follow in order to be a church that pleases Christ. And I I hope and pray that is everyone's desire. Because the the point of all of these letters, right, is that as a church, Jesus holds us accountable, not for getting one or two of these things right, but for getting all of them right. There's a complexity there that can make us uncomfortable, right? We, We would prefer life to be simple, right? What is the one or two things we have to do as a church to be a good church that pleases Jesus Christ? And yet, the message we see across these seven churches is there are many things. Because Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is complex. And what he expects and holds us accountable for are many different things. So each week I am highlighting one risk that affects those ancient churches that we face today in 2019 as a lighthouse for Christ at the corner of Clipper and Mariner. And I highlight one command that we need to follow if we are to shine the light of Christ as brightly as possible. So for Thyatira, the risk we are highlighting is tolerating sin within, and the command is to obey Christ. Three related themes emerge from this letter. The authority of Christ, the mercy of Christ, and the reward of Christ. Now the first verse, as I have mentioned along the way, the first verse of each letter emphasizes one critical attribute of Jesus. And again, he is 
like the most brilliantly cut diamond. He has many, many different facets. All true, all valid, all important. So each letter picks one to highlight that is that is particularly relevant to the message that he's got for that church. And the element he is emphasizing here is the divine authority of Christ. Verse 18 says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. This is a picture of divine authority that picks up on the words of the Old Testament prophets when they see God in His glory. This is making clear, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is God Himself. This image of Jesus in His present glory is described in further detail in Revelation chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The hairs of His head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And His voice was like the roar of many waters. And so despite all of our kindly pictures of Jesus as a pleasant, smiling, gentle young man with very, very nice hair, He is God in the flesh with all of the holiness and purity and righteousness and justice and power of God. I am reminded here, uh, if you're a fan of C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a part where where he is speaking of Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus Christ, and, and he says he is not a tame lion. Jesus Christ is not a tame Savior. We want to tame him. We want to think of him in this way, but this letter reminds us that he is not. This reminds us that we must obey all of God's commands, all of Christ's commands. Verse 27 concludes, Even as I myself have received authority from my Father. You see, upon His death and resurrection, Jesus was given all authority in heaven and all authority on earth, meaning we need to make and be real disciples who obey everything He's commanded. This is exactly what he said in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. These, by the way, is our, our, our church-wide memory verse for the month. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. The bottom line of this letter is that real faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior requires respect and obedience to Him and His authority and what He commanded, and it's not optional. His concern is not for the sin in the city of Thyatira. He is not critiquing the pagan culture outside this church. His deep concern is for the sin inside His church. This is a very important perspective for us to always bear in mind as people who are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ in the world. Verse 20 explains, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. In light of his authority, we cannot tolerate sin inside his church. 
Now, biblically, Jezebel was a, an incredibly evil queen of Israel. She she married into the, the, the throne. She led the people to worship the false god Baal. And her sinful leadership took Israel to all kinds of, of new depths of depravity and idolatry. And, and the, the comparison that Jesus is making is that in Thyatira, there was a false teacher who was doing the same kind of thing inside the church. Again, he's not complaining about the, the media outside the church. He's not complaining about what's on Twitter outside the church. He's complaining about what's going inside the church, where it appears that a woman who is claiming to be a prophet and, and had some sort of, I think, official teaching role in the church was leading the Christians into sexual immorality and the worship of false things. And he rebukes the church for allowing this to happen, for tolerating this. And that's, that's a very interesting word he chooses here, tolerating. It's interesting to us in 2019 because tolerance has become the highest moral virtue in postmodern American culture, right? In the name of tolerance, our culture has radically and powerfully embraced a you-do-you-I'll-do-me ethos that insists there can be no critical eye ever turned towards personal behavior. Right? Literally, the greatest cultural crime you can commit right now in America is to be intolerant. And yet Jesus condemns his church for being tolerant of what goes on inside. Now, Christians should never be unkind or unloving. This is where we get into the complexity of Jesus, which we'll be highlighting more as we unfold today, right? There is absolutely no place in the gospel for things like racism or hatred of individuals or persecution of minorities of any kind. But we are absolutely called to have an opinion about what is and is not acceptable behavior within the church, the body of Christ. We are required by Jesus to guard what goes on in the church. And I don't mean in this building. I mean in the lives of the people who make up the church. In a culture that insists that we not only never critique, but we actually affirm every behavior and choice both inside and outside the church, hear what Jesus says in verses 21 to 23. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. These are not the words of a soft, cuddly, it's all good Jesus. Jesus is calling for his church to genuinely love and obey him. And he reminds us that he knows every heart and mind, right? So he knows if we are obeying and yet our heart is wrong. And he knows when our heart is right, and yet we disobey. He has the authority of God to demand that everyone who calls him or herself a Christian obey him, and to say that we cannot permit sinful behavior and teaching inside the church. And that includes the issues of sexual morality and ethics that are ripping churches and denominations apart in the United States right now in 2019. 
And this is a challenging message because in every side of every issue, we want to simplify, simplify, simplify down to just one thing. And instead, we have to realize that as we hear this message, we have to adopt the complexity of our Savior. It's a challenging message to hear, but we have to say that you know, we, we need to know that if you say you love Jesus, but you hate or don't care about what the Bible tells you to do, you don't really love Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 explains, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Christ is authoritative over every aspect of our lives, and that includes our bodies. Because as Christians, we are walking, talking temples of the Holy Spirit. What a remarkable thing. He requires faithful teaching and obedience to his commands. That includes the affirmation of historical Christian sexual morals and ethics. Tolerance, as it is practiced in the United States, is a sickly caricature of real love. Because real love wants what's best for people which begins with faithfulness to Christ and all that he commands, because what he commands through his word is intended for human flourishing. But Jesus makes clear that even as we understand and obey his authority, we must do so in light of the mercy of Christ, right? This is where we must remember the and, right? Christ's authority must always be understood in terms of his mercy, And Christ's mercy must always be understood in terms of his authority. They are inseparable, right? He is firm but loving because he is merciful. And his mercy isn't a license to just sin freely because of his authority. And so we, as his followers, must practice both a respect for his authority and his mercy. Which means as we engage with a culture, that challenges us in our understanding, we have to do so with both faith in the authority of Christ and the offer of the mercy of Christ that is available to everyone. Now for us, our most fundamental experience of the mercy of Christ is through salvation. He, God created us for perfection and eternity. He, he made us to walk and talk with Him forever, but we messed it up. From the Garden of Eden onward, every single one of us has repeatedly fallen short of God's perfect and holy standard of behavior. And these failures to love God and others more than our own selfish desires are sin. And sin separates us from God in a way that we can't fix on our own. No matter how desperately we try to change, no matter how hard we beg and plead, no matter how much we want to be good and decent, no matter how many times we promise this time to be different, we will fail. We do and think and say what we shouldn't. We fail to say and do what we should. On our own, we are hopeless. And we all need to remember that. On our own, we are hopeless. None of us are more more righteous and got it together than anyone else. We are all hopeless on our own, stuck in a pit of sin that we've dug for ourselves and unable to climb out. But in his infinite mercy, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, stepped into our world to pull us up out of our pit. 
He took on a human nature, was born as a baby, lived a life of holy perfection we can't, and then voluntarily sacrificed his life on a cross to serve as an innocent blood sacrifice, to wash away all of our filth, to pay the penalty for all of our sin. And when he did that, when he died and rose from the dead, he made it, he made it possible to pull anyone up and out of their pit, regardless of how deep and disgusting it looks like to us. As long as we believe in him as Lord and Savior, his offer of help is available to everyone. We can't save ourselves, but Christ's mercy saves us when we believe and call on him to save us. And he sets us free from sin and death, and he invites us to to live with him forever in the presence of God. And yet his mercy is even more extravagant than that. Because he demonstrates his his incomprehensible mercy through his ongoing forgiveness to us as his followers. Right? Because we don't become perfect when we put our faith in Jesus, do we? We all mess up from time to time. Yes, we're changed. Yes, we're born again. Yes, we're new creations in Christ. and, And praise God for that. We are no longer defined by our sins and failures. Yes, we have newfound freedom not to sin, but the reality is we still sin from time to time. And we must never forget that. Because when we do, we stop being merciful. And Christ is so merciful, He doesn't ever cancel our new identity and and, and revoke our salvation when we mess up. Instead, he invites us to to once again confess our sins and accept his merciful forgiveness. 1 John 2.1 is talking to us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. As our advocate, Jesus assures us in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all kinds and categories of unrighteousness. When we come to him and ask forgiveness, he he demonstrates his ongoing mercy in this particular letter, right? As harsh as this letter is. He demonstrates his mercy in verse 21 where he says he's given this false prophetess time to repent. The wonderful mercy of Jesus is that he's very patient with us and Again, praise God for that. Because he wants us to turn back to him, but he's also clear, his patience is not unlimited. Like peanut butter and jelly, Jesus is merciful and authoritative. He is loving and just. The justice and authority of Christ will one day be fulfilled if we stick with our sins. And whether that comes through near-term devastation of the church, which is what he is promising, or whether it is in final judgment, his day will come. Jesus promises suffering for this false leader and her followers. He ultimately promising spiritual death, eternal damnation in verse 23, and I will strike her children dead. Again, not a cuddly Jesus. We have to understand him in his full-orbed glory. He is all the good things we appreciate, but he's also the difficult things we need to rightfully be concerned about. 
lesson for us as the church in 2019 here in Lakeridge is that we have to practice both the mercy and the authority of Jesus Christ. We must always be quick to extend forgiveness and mercy to anyone who has fallen into sin, regardless of what that sin might be, and repents of it. But to do this, we have to recognize sin for what it is, rather than trying to excuse it away. We, as the church, cannot tolerate sin within. As followers of the authoritative Christ of God, we are called to directly address sin wherever we see it in a friend or a relative or a church member or a leader. Galatians 6.1 emphasizes, Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is not a suggestion. It is a mandate for every spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ. There is no you do you, I'll do me inside the body of Christ. Matthew 18 tells us how to address sin within the church. First privately, then with a few witnesses, then to the larger body of the church. And this is a very difficult thing in modern American culture. Very few churches really teach and do this. But it is deeply loving because the goal is not punishment. It is restoration, reconciliation, and healing. It is mercy is the goal. Confronting sin in a friend or loved one is uncomfortable, but it is deeply hateful to leave them under the condemnation of Christ without getting involved. Now, to learn more about all this, I would encourage you to stick around after church for Living the Word. It'll start immediately after this down in the fellowship hall. We have lunch, and we're going to be talking about resolving conflict biblically. And most of us have some conflict in our lives, family, friends, church, etc. So uh, don't worry if you didn't sign up. I have faith there'll be enough food. If not, we'll make a run to the border or something. But I would encourage you to, to head straight down for that. But and why are we called to be so diligent about these things? right? Why do we need to be so diligent about following the authority of Jesus? And, and what is it about mercy plus authority that is such good news? And what keeps this from just becoming burdensome and legalistic and pharisaical and, and all the other ugly extremes we see sometimes in church life today? Well, that's the focus of the last part of the letter, the reward of Christ. Practicing the authority and mercy of Christ matters because when we're faithful, Jesus promises mind-blowing reward. Within the church of Thyatira, there were still some who were obedient to Jesus, and he encourages them to simply keep up the good work. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. Stay the course. Live the faith. Follow the authority. Practice the mercy. No matter how unpopular the obeying and teaching Christ's commands, we're going to make them inside their church or within their city. These faithful few simply need to stick to the authority and mercy of their Lord and Savior to receive their reward. And what a reward it is. One part of Christ's reward is that all who are faithful will reign over the world with him. All right, verse 26 says, The one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. I want you to think about that. Right? If you're faithful to obey Christ and show his mercy, 
then Jesus is talking about you. Does not matter how young or old, how accomplished or educated or rich you might wind up, doesn't matter what your career on earth winds up being or how successful or unsuccessful the world views you, if you are faithful in obeying Christ, then when you enter the presence of our Savior forever, you will reign as a king alongside the King of Kings. If we are faithful, Scripture promises, we will have wonderful responsibilities in the new heaven and the new earth. 1 Corinthians 6.3 says, One day we're going to judge angels. The parable of the talents reveals that we'll never be sitting around bored in heaven strumming a harp. None of that. It's all garbage. If we're fa- I mean, maybe if you're really good at harping and that's your dream, maybe you will strum a harp. If we're faithful, we will one day hear those glorious words in Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Right, the picture of heaven is a place where we will have wonderful things to do responsibilities to carry out forever and ever. Enter into the joy of your master. Eternally reigning with Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. Now that's a reward worth holding on to, even in the face of rising cultural opposition to Christian beliefs and standards in America. And yet Jesus reveals an even greater reward that I, that I hope that you'll begin to absorb, but just meditate on in days and weeks and months to come. It's it's in verse 28, and I will give him the morning star. Now, Revelation 22:16 tells us what the morning star is, more precisely who it is. It makes it clear that Jesus is speaking of himself. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Right? Our greatest reward, one that we will enjoy throughout our journey with Christ, from, from the moment we first believe till the end of forever, which of course doesn't end, is Jesus himself. I don't think we do a good job thinking about that very much. That as followers of Jesus, we enjoy the incomparable riches of Christ. We get to enjoy all those facets and aspects of our, our infinitely wondrous God made flesh. That when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, the unique Son of God enters into our heart and, and unites with us in a, in a mystery that defies explanation. Colossians 1.27 celebrates, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. As followers of Jesus, we experience the God of the universe through whom all things were made in and with us every moment of every day. Think about that. Spend some time this afternoon thinking about that. Think about it tomorrow and the day after that. That as we faithfully hold fast to Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Eternal Son, the, the long-suffering, beautiful, and infinitely good Savior, he lives in us. He strengthens us. He loves us. He comforts us. He encourages us. He supports us. He transforms us. That we are united in Christ and He in us. This is the greatest reward of Christ. And it is given to all who obey His authority and practice His mercy by faith. Please pray with me. Oh, Father God, what a wondrous, 
incomprehensible joy this is. Help us to even begin to to think about certain aspects of what it means that our reward is your Son, Jesus Christ, in us, over us, through us, working in every aspect of our heart and lives, walking with us every moment of every day from now through all eternity. Set this image before us, Lord, so that we may have the courage and the grace to practice both faithful obedience to all that your Son commanded and do it with mercy and love as he demonstrated. Lord God, help us to, well, forgive us, really, of the sin when we try to reduce your Son to just a single simple thing and put him in a box, contain him, and control him. Lord God, enrich our understanding of your Son, who is all of these things and so many more that we've highlighted this morning. And so, Lord, guide us and guard us in our teaching and in our behavior, that we may indeed live under the authority of your Son, Jesus. And Lord, hear now if we have a confession to make. Lord, hear us as we lay before you the sins for which we ask your forgiveness. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we stand as recipients of your infinite mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, hear us now as we confess those times we have failed to show that mercy to those in need, to those who have fallen into sin. Forgive us for all the times in which we have failed to truly represent your Son in both his authoritative rule and his merciful love. Help us to be a a church, a lighthouse, that teaches and demonstrates Christ in all his many aspects, never compromising the truth, but never, never losing the love and the mercy. Lord God, help us to be a church with which you are well pleased. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.